Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today. For whoever you're watching or listening from, if this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com, click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online, that's a way of saying thanks. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, we're nearing the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians here today. We're in chapter 5. We started this six-week journey back in the start of August, and we've been working our way through each chapter since. Now, we haven't done a full verse-by-verse breakdown, but we have taken large chunks of each chapter and focused on that content. Meanwhile, we've encouraged you to read through the letter using the reading journal that we've provided for you. You can download it right now on our website. Just go to RadiantChurchSC.com media, and you'll see the reading journal available for download directly underneath that particular week's message, all right? So, the big theme that we focused on throughout Paul's letter to the Ephesians has been unity. I know, it's been in every single message just about. We learned a few weeks ago that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, that that's the foundation to the letter. It's, there, it's right there that Paul explains that we're united in Christ. And in being united with Christ, we're united with God and each other. And so everything else Paul covers in the letter is actually built on that passage. Now the first three chapters in Ephesians are really heavy theologically, but a break occurs in Ephesians chapter 4, and we learned that last week. So from there, Ephesians will shift to a heavier focus from theology to more of a practical living focus. Like, how do we take what we've learned in the first three chapters and live it out in a very practical way? And that's what chapters 4, 5, and 6 really explain and answer. And so what you're going to see from about you know 4 verse 17 to about 6 verse 9 is a look at how to practically live in unity with other Christians. There's a lot of back and forth between what a believer's old life and new life in Christ looks like and how that relates to new relationships formed with believers within the body of Christ. One of the things we've talked about uh, in the series so far is that how humanity, even after thousands of years, all the technology and everything that's advanced, humanity hadn't changed much. I mean, we've changed, you know, again, with biomedicine and, and technology, but, 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 but we haven't changed, you know, as humans and how we think and act, really. I mean, we still deal with the same struggles and insecurities today as we dealt with back then. And the same question that many Ephesian Christians had resonates, I think, today in, in our own hearts. How can you be light in a dark world? So some think the way to keep you know, the light on is to completely withdraw from everything and everyone not associated with God. Others will take some areas that aren't exactly you know, gray, and to be fair, there's a lot of gray in Scripture, and treat them as such. So they'll take a pretty clear command from God or stand the Lord takes and then twist it or negate it and justify what they're doing by saying, well, I'm just trying to reach folks, <laughs> you know? Paul's going to talk about this in great detail in our passage today, about how we effectively keep the light on in our world of darkness. In fact, this passage is one of the longest passages on living as light in the New Testament. And there's a right way for us just to keep the light shining in our dark world, which doesn't involve compromise or seclusion. So how do we do it? All right, let's go to chapter 5. Let's start with verse number 1, okay? Imitate God, Paul says in everything you do, because you're his dear children. Live a life with love, 
following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let me just make a note here real quick. This is part of a section which starts in chapter 4, verse 25, and ends at 5, verse number 2, outlining how we are to live for Christ. Now let's look at verse number 3. Let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral or impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to execute these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Now, it may sound overly simple, but the fact is, if you're going to keep the light on in a dark world, you've got to actually be, you know, living as light here, all right? And these first few verses, they're full of, you know, all kinds of sin to avoid if you're going to live as light. But it's not an exhaustive list by any means. So Paul, he intentionally focuses on three primary sins here in verses 3 through 4. Sexual sins, sins we commit verbally, and then greed. The reason he focuses on these three is because he sees them as the biggest snares for his readers. Now, I would argue these sins are pretty common snares for all of us here today, whether you're in the first century, you know, or the 21st century. It doesn't quite matter. He starts with sexual sin in verse number three. And the reason for addressing sexual sin first is because once sin takes hold of somebody's heart and begins to build, sexual sin generally is not too far behind. So the reason for that is because sexual sin is the one place where pride and power and pleasure are inordinately concentrated. So in an earlier letter to the Corinthians, Paul says that sexual sin is a sin against your own body, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Sex is more than gratification for physical need. It brings two people together in unity, reflecting the image and nature of God. So there's very much a spiritual element at play here. In fact, I think Paul, if you were here today, one of the many things he would teach us from this passage is that you cannot have multiple sexual partners. Now, I'd not be kind of news to you, but, but I think Paul would be pretty, pretty clear about that. Because if God's design for sexual pleasure is to be within marriage, which it is, in part because it's a representation of our own unity intimacy with the Lord, then you can't have multiple partners and solely belong to God. You're supposed to be fully committed to one, right? You bear God's image. You bear His likeness. You, you're one with Him. So you're going to be one with your spouse. Or if you're single, exclusive until you share that experience with your future spouse. So, you know, sex answers the question, like, who, who do you belong to? So I, I belong to my wife. I belong to Shana. She belongs to me. Like, we're committed. We're one. And, and as soon as I get eyes for another woman or she gets eyes for another man, like, what happens? Well, that unity begins to dissipate. The commitment begins to wane, and you begin to develop desires for another person in addition to the spouse you're supposed to be committed to. We follow a, a similar path in spiritual idolatry. You see it play out in the Old Testament over and over and over again. When we begin chasing things that aren't of God, our commitment and our unity, it erodes. We're no longer, you know, full of the desire to be united with the Lord as we once were. It actually begins to break apart. So now all of this doesn't come out of just thin air. You know, it isn't just, oh, I woke up today and felt this way. No, it actually stems over time from somewhere, and it stems from greed. At its core, greed is a desire for us to take God's place and determine the course of our own lives. It's this desire to get more out of life than what God himself has actually put into it. And, and when that desire for more takes over, it distorts our view of life that we've been given. 
thought in Paul's day was that greed encompassed all other sins because it motivates other sins. Why do I steal? Greed, I, I want more. Why do I lie? Greed, I want to convey that I have more or I am more or I'm better than somebody else. Why do I manipulate and cheat for personal gain? Greed, like it's the highest act of revolt against God because it seeks to put us in God's place. It's the very reason Satan was kicked out of heaven, okay? Now, the third sin he points out deals with our speech. Now, the three words that Paul uses for language in this verse are used nowhere else in the New Testament. In particular, Paul has in mind the kind of language you would think about, you know, that which is disgraceful, sure. But he also has in mind language that is considered, you know, kind of harmless, but can be turned into something that's harmful. So think about innuendos, manipulative speech, gossip, that kind of thing. Why does language take center stage? Because language creates culture. This is really important. Language creates culture. And it reveals who you are because it reveals what's lurking in the depths of your heart. There's an element of truth to every criticism, every gossip, every coarse joke, and that's why they hurt so much. You can't live as light and gossip. You can't live as light and use innuendos all the time because what comes out of your mouth reveals the true condition of your heart. So the Ephesians already knew this. The start of verse number five actually reads in the Greek, for this you know knowing, Paul says. He's reminding the Ephesians, they already know how to live for Christ. They already know these things. Many of us in this room, many of us, you know, watching online, hey, we know that we're supposed to live as light. And that's not really news to us. But Paul's wording serves as a warning for these Ephesians, and subsequently it serves as a warning for us as well. If they choose to live a life of sin, knowing they're to live as light, then God's judgment will find them. Maybe not in this life, but it will in eternity. And it's one thing to be ignorant, right? But it's another thing to knowingly, intentionally sin. Now, once you firmly begin living as light, last thing you need to do is really withdraw into a little Christian bubble, all right? Like you can't keep the light on in a dark world if you never interact with people who are far from God. And so many have read the next few verses and concluded incorrectly, I should add, that we're to cut off all of our non-Christian relationships. But is that what Paul is trying to communicate? Is he trying to communicate withdrawing and focusing just on your family? Ephesians 5, verse number 7. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. While other New Testament texts will talk about being in the light or being in Christ who is the light, this is one of the few instances where Christians are viewed as the light in their world. So don't just live as light, Paul's saying. You be the light. The underlying idea in these verses is you need to impact your sphere of influence. Why? Because people take on the character of the sphere of influence they belong to. Once you were in darkness, because that's the sphere of influence you were a part of, but now, now you belong to Christ, so now you're light, right? What Paul writes in verse number 8 is really important here. In fact, it's the most concise summary of Paul's entire theology. You could boil everything that Paul is trying to explain in all of his letters in the New Testament down to one sentence, and it would be this one right here in verse number 8. And it's not a suggestion call from Paul. It's a command that he gives. Be light, right? Live out the message of Christ. The Christian life has, has always been a call to live out who God says we are, and God says we're light. And if we're to be light in a dark world, it doesn't mean we withdraw. It means we separate from sin and not people. 
They separate from sin and not people. If we jump to 1 Corinthians for a moment, Paul's going to address this topic in that letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9. He goes, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers, look at that, who indulge in sexual sin, or are greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. Well, look what he says next. This is pretty important. He says, You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats, or, you know, whatever you want to fill in the blank in there, okay? He goes, don't even eat with such people. So the only people that both Paul and, and, and Christ warn us to separate from are people who know better, people we might call religious, right? They got all the head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. They can put on the right show, but they intentionally sin. Stay away from them, Paul says. Notice he doesn't instruct Christians to stay away from the rest of the world. He even says, like, you'd have to leave the world to avoid people like that. So he's clearly not advocating you cut yourself off and withdraw. Instead, if you look at verse number 9, he advocates you produce what is good and right and true. And if it sounds a little familiar to some of you, it should. He's drawing from Micah's words in the Old Testament, Micah 6, 8. He says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, with your God. See, the reality is we can't share Christ without rubbing shoulders of people who are far from God. And that seems, that's almost too common sense, right? Like, of course it makes sense. So this call to separate from sin and not people, it's going to challenge you a little bit, especially for those of you who, you know, your idea of bringing folks to Christ meant you were enforcing Christian ethics on non-Christian people. Another way to put that is you're very legalistic, right? Maybe even judgmental. And the truth is, it's not our job to force or make or coerce people to follow Christ. We can't legislate Christianity into people's lives. That's not living as light. That's not producing what's good and right and true. Our job is to simply live as light because when we do that, man, light exposes and then transforms the darkness. Look at verse number 10. Carefully, Paul says, determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the, the end, and Christ will give you light. When we live as light, God's Spirit exposes darkness around us. Verses 13 and 14 teach us that people are both exposed and transformed by Christ's light. Think about what light does to a dark room. My oldest son is afraid of the dark. He's, he's five, so everything looks scary and threatening to him. But the moment I switch on the light, the room transforms. Everything's in the open. A little bit of light can change a whole lot because whatever encounters light takes on the quality of light. And we notice that you don't do any of the work when you turn on the light, right? All you do is flip on a switch. <laughs> That's it. The light did all the work for you. It exposed what was unknown and transformed a dark room into a very welcoming environment. Too often we feel it's our responsibility, even our duty, to transform people's lives. That's a lot of pressure to live up to, isn't it? 
And when we don't transform people, we reason we didn't pray enough, we didn't stand up enough, we didn't do whatever it was enough to make the difference. You don't do the work of transformation. Can I just tell you that? Like, you don't do that work. That's Christ's job. You shine his light. He does the work of exposing and transforming lives. So every time you go home to your family, instead of hanging with guys at happy hour, you're shining light and exposing darkness. Each time you put others ahead of yourself, you're shining light and exposing darkness. Whenever you see these opportunities to talk about your faith, you're shining light and exposing the darkness. And each time you shine that light, the power of God goes to work until one day that exposure leads to life change and transformation. In our world today, people, man, they don't want to hear any more about living for Christ. They're looking for Christians to start living like Christ. If we can live out the message of Jesus, they'll take notice. Paul's readers in, in Ephesus, they didn't just talk about a life and what Christ did for them. They lived it out, right, for everybody to see. And as people saw the grace and forgiveness which the Ephesian Christians lived, it had impact. Darkness was exposed by the power of God, and lives began to transform. The greatest way to expose and transform darkness is to let your life do all the talking for you. So when we live as light, we separate from sin, not the person. When our light exposes darkness, lives change for eternity. Maybe you realize you haven't kept the light on in your life today. Maybe you've tried changing and transforming lives in your own power. Maybe you've lived like a Christian hermit, <laughs> we'll say, right? Secluded from the world around you, having just zero impact for eternity. Or perhaps you find yourself struggling to keep the light on because your life isn't reflecting Christ's light at all. It's not taking on his nature and character. Whatever you may fall into here today, the answer you desperately need is only found in Christ. He alone has the power to expose and transform lives. He just asks you to keep that light shining. He rubs shoulders of people who are far from God so they might come into contact with the light. He didn't minister in seclusion and separate it from people. He died and rose again. So even though your life may be in the dark, the light can expose and even transform you. If you've never been exposed to Christ, if you're listening and watching right now and you say, Pastor, I want to start living as light. I want that light. I want to lead you in a prayer that takes those next steps towards living a life full of Christ. We're going to invite Jesus to be part of our lives, to be our Lord and Savior. And then I want to pray for those of us who are Christians before we wrap up here today. So if you're watching, if you're working out, driving, whatever, and this is for you, saying, hey, I, I want to I start living for Christ. I want you to pray along with me in your own words, okay? I'll, I'll start us off. Lord, thank you for who you are and for your goodness and grace. God, I pray right now for those who are saying, hey, you know what? I need to live as a light for Christ. I want to start doing that. Lord, right now, as they're asking you to forgive them of their sin, that's what you want to do. You want to say, Christ, forgive me for the wrong that I've done. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for everything I've done that's been contrary to who you are. Cleanse me of the darkness in my life. Remove that darkness and shine your light in me. God, as they're praying for that forgiveness, as they're praying, God, for your light to come in and, and, and remove that darkness, I pray, Lord, that 
they would know today that God's grace and God's love and God's mercy has forgiven them of every single wrong. That they have a brand new life in you, that you are now their savior, having saved them, God, from their sins. And now we, we position one more thing, one more step. And we just pray this prayer right here. Lord, I don't want to do my own thing anymore. I don't want to call the shots. I don't want to live my own way. I've tried that. It's not working. I want your life for me. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want you to lead me as only you can. I'm going to commit myself to serving and following you from this day forward. And Lord, as they're making you Lord of their lives, that's what we're doing here with that prayer. I pray, God, they would serve you faithfully. I pray, God, that their hearts would be in step with you. And I pray, Lord, their lives would be in alignment with you. And that, God, their hearts would uh, be in lockstep with your leading. May you just continue to lead them and take center stage. Father, for those who are Christians here this morning, I, I, I just pray right now that that they would resist this temptation to separate from the world. I pray, Lord, that we would understand we have to separate from sin, but not people. We got to live as light. We got to shine that light on so that people can be exposed to who you are. No, we don't shove it down their throats. We don't throw it in their face. God, you do all the work for us. We just turn on the, the switch. <laughs> We're living our faith out. You are the light that changes and transforms. May we not try to live up to that expectation of transformation. That belongs to you. And I pray, Lord, that as we engage the culture and people around us, Lord, as we shine that light, that you would expose the darkness, that, God, you would bring people to your kingdom and transform hearts and lives for your glory. We thank you for who you are, for all that you're going to do. And we're giving you praise and honor and glory. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.